Section One of Evelina's Garden by Mary E. Wilkins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Bologna Times. Evelina's Garden by Mary E. Wilkins. Section One. On the south, a high arbor vitae hedge separated Evelina's garden from the road. The hedge was so high that when the schoolchildren lagged by and the secrets behind it fired them with more curiosity than those between their battered book covers, the tallest of them, by stretching up on tiptoe, could not peer over. And so they were driven to childish engineering feats and would set to work and pick away sprigs of the arbor vitae. With their little fingers and make peepholes, but small ones that Evelina might not discern them. Then they would thrust their pink faces into the hedge, and the enduring fragrance of it would come to their nostrils like a gust of aromatic breath from the mouth of the northern woods, and peer into Evelina's garden as through the green tubes of vernal telescopes. Then suddenly. Hollyhocks, blooming in rank and file, seemed to be marching upon them like platoons of soldiers, with detonations of color that dazzled their peeping eyes, and indeed the whole garden seemed charging with its mass of riotous bloom upon the hedge. They could scarcely take in details of marigold and flocks and pinks and London pride and coxcomb and prince's feather waving overhead like standards. Sometimes also there was the purple flutter of Evelina's gown, and Evelina's face, delicately faded, hung about with softly drooping gray curls, appeared suddenly among the flowers like another flower, uncannily instinct with nervous melancholy. Then the children would fall back from their peepholes and huddle off together with scared giggles. They were afraid of Evelina. There was a shade of mystery about her which stimulated their childish fancies when they heard her discussed by their elders. They might easily have conceived her to be some baleful fairy entrenched in her green stronghold, withheld from leaving it by the fear of some dire penalty for magical sins. Summer and winter, spring and fall, Evelina Adams never was seen outside her own domain. Of an old mansion and house and garden, and she had not set her slim lady feet in the public highway for nearly forty years, if the stories were true. People differed as to the reason why. Some said she had had an unfortunate love affair, that her heart had been broken, and she had taken upon herself a vow of seclusion from the world. But nobody could point to the unworthy lover who had done her this harm. When Evelina was a girl, not one of the young men of the village had dared address her. She had been set apart by birth and training, and also by a certain exclusiveness of manner, if not of nature. Her father, old Squire Adams, had been the one man of wealth and college learning in the village. He had owned the one fine old mansion house, with its white front propped on great Corinthian pillars, overlooking the village like a broad. Brow of superiority, he had owned the only coach and four. His wife, during her short life, had gone dressed in rich brocades and satins that rustled loud in the ears of the village women, and her nodding plumes had dazzled the eyes under their modest hoods. 
hardly a woman in the village but could tell for it had been handed down like a folklore song from mother to daughter just what squire adam's wife wore when she walked out first as bride to meeting she had been clad all in blue squire adam's wife when she walked out bride she wore a blue satin brocade gown all wrought with blue flowers of a darker blue cut low neck and short sleeves she wore long blue silk mitts wrought with blue blue satin shoes and blue silk clocked stockings and she wore a blue crape mantle that was brought from overseas and a blue velvet hat with a long blue ostrich feather curled over it it was so long it reached her shoulder and waved when she walked and she carried a little blue crape fan with ivory sticks so the women and girls told each other when the squire's bride had been dead nearly seventy years the blue bride attire was said to be still in existence packed away in a cedar chest as the squire had ordered after his wife's death he stood over the woman that took care of his wife whilst she packed the things away and he never shed a tear but she used to hear him a-goin up to the north chamber nights when he couldn't sleep to look at em the women told people had thought the squire would marry again they said evelina who was only four years old needed a mother and they selected one and another of the good village girls but the squire never married he had a single woman who dressed in black silk and wore always a black wrought veil over the side of her bonnet come to live with them to take charge of evelina she was said to be a distant relative of the squire's wife and was much looked up to by the village people although she never did more than interlace as it were the fringes of her garments with theirs she stuck up they said and felt curiously enough a certain pride in the fact when they met her in the street and she ducked her long chin stiffly into the folds of her black shawl by way of salutation when evelina was fifteen years old the single woman died and the village women went to her funeral and bent over her lying in a last helpless dignity in her coffin and stared with odd freedom at her cold face after that evelina was sent away to school and did not return except for a yearly vacation for six years to come then she returned and settled down in her old home to live out her life and end her days in a perfect semblance of peace if it were not peace evelina never had any young school friend to visit her she had never so far as any one knew a friend of her own age she lived alone with her father and three old servants she went to meeting and drove with the squire in his chaise the coach was never used after his wife's death except to carry evelina to and from school she and the squire also took long walks but they never exchanged aught but the merest civilities of good days and nods with the neighbors whom they met unless indeed the squire had some matter of business to discuss then evelina stood aside and waited her fair face drooping gravely aloof she was very pretty with a gentle high-bred prettiness that impressed the village folk although they looked at it somewhat askance evelina's figure was tall and had a fine slenderness her silken skirts hung straight from the narrow silk ribbon that girt her slim waist there was a languidly graceful bend in her long white throat 
her long delicate hands hung inertly at her sides among her skirt folds and were never seen to clasp anything her softly clustering fair curls hung over her thin blooming cheeks and her face could scarce be seen unless as she seldom did she turned and looked full upon one then her dark blue eyes with a little nervous frown between them shone out radiantly her thin lips showed a warm red and her beauty startled one everybody wondered why she did not have a lover why some fine young man had not been smitten by her while she had been away at school they did not know that the school had been situated in another little village the counterpart of the one in which she had been born wherein a fitting mate for a bird of her feather could hardly be found the simple young men of the countryside were at once attracted and intimidated by her they cast fond sly glances across the meeting-house at her lovely face but they were confused before her when they jostled her in the doorway and the rose and lavender scent of her lady garments came in their faces not one of them dared accost her much less march boldly upon the great corinthian pillared house raise the brass knocker and declare himself a suitor for the squire's daughter one young man there was indeed who treasured in his heart an experience so subtle and so slight that he could scarcely believe in it himself he never recounted it to mortal soul but kept it as a secret sacred between himself and his own nature but something to be scoffed at and set aside by others it had happened one sabbath day in summer when evelina had not been many years home from school as she sat in the meeting-house in her sabbath array of rose-colored satin gown and white bonnet trimmed with one white feather and a little wreath of feathery green that of a sudden she raised her head and turned her face and her blue eyes met this young man's full upon hers with all his heart in them and it was for a second as if her own heart leaped to the surface and he saw it although afterwards he scarce believed it to be true then a pallor crept over evelina's delicately brilliant face she turned it away and her curls falling softly from under the green wreath on her bonnet brim hid it the young man's cheeks were a hot red and his heart beat loudly in his ears when he met her in the doorway after the sermon was done his eager timorous eyes sought her face but she never looked his way she laid her slim hand in its cream-colored silk mitt on the squire's arm her satin gown rustled softly as she passed before him shrinking against the wall to give her room and a faint fragrance which seemed like the very breath of the unknown delicacy and exclusiveness of life came to his bewildered senses many a time he cast furtive glances across the meeting-house at evelina but she never looked his way again if his timid boy eyes could have seen her cheek behind its veil of curls he might have discovered that the color came and went before his glances although it was strange how she could have been conscious of them but he never knew and he also never knew how when he walked past the squire's house of a sunday evening dressed in his best with his shoulders thrust consciously back and the windows in the westering sun looked full of blank gold to his furtive eyes evelina was always peeping at him from behind a shutter and he never dared go in his intuitions were not like hers and so nothing happened that might have and he never 
fairly knew what he knew but that he never told even to his wife when he married for his hot young blood grew weary and impatient with this vain courtship and he turned to one of his village mates who met him fairly halfway and married her within a year on the sunday when he and his bride first appeared in the meeting-house evelina went up the aisle behind her father in an array of flowered brocade stiff with threads of silver so wonderful that people all turned their heads to stare at her she wore also a new bonnet of rose-colored satin and her curls were caught back a little and her face showed as clear and beautiful as an angel's the young bridegroom glanced at her once across the meeting-house then he looked at his bride in her gay wedding finery with a faithful look when evelina met them in the doorway after meeting was done she bowed with a sweet cold grace to the bride who curtsied blushingly in return with an awkward sweep of her foot in the bridal satin shoe the bridegroom did not look at evelina at all he held his chin well down in his stock with solemn embarrassment and passed out stiffly his bride on his arm evelina shining in the sun like a silver lily went up the street her father stalking beside her with stately swings of his cane and that was the last time she was ever seen at meeting nobody knew why when evelina was a little over thirty her father died there was not much active grief for him in the village he had really figured therein more as a stately monument of his own grandeur than anything else he had been a man of little force of character and that little had seemed to degenerate since his wife died an inborn dignity of manner might have served to disguise his weakness with any others than these shrewd new englanders but they read him rightly the squire wa'n't ever one to set the river afire they said then moreover he left none of his property to the village to build a new meeting-house or a town-house it all went to evelina people expected that evelina would surely show herself in her mourning at meeting the sunday after the squire died but she did not moreover it began to be gradually discovered that she never went out in the village street nor crossed the boundaries of her own domains after her father's death she lived in the great house with her three servants a man and his wife and the woman who had been with her mother when she died then it was that evelina's garden began there had always been a garden at the back of the squire's house but not like this and only a low fence had separated it from the road now one morning in the autumn the people saw evelina's manservant john darby setting out the arbor vitae hedge and in the spring after that there were ploughing and seed-sowing extending over a full half-acre which later blossomed out in glory before the hedge grew so high evelina could be seen at work in her garden she was often stooping over the flower-beds in the early morning when the village was first astir and she moved among them with her watering-pot in the twilight a shadowy figure that might from her grace and her constancy to the flowers have been flora herself as the years went on the arbor vitae hedge got each season a new growth and waxed taller until evelina could no longer be seen above it that was an annoyance to 
people because the quiet mystery of her life kept their curiosity alive until it was in a constant struggle as it were with the green luxuriance of the hedge john darby had ought to trim that hedge they said they accosted him in the street if he don't cut that hedge down a little it'll all die out but he only made a surly grunting response intelligible to himself alone and passed on he was an englishman and had lived in the squire's family since he was a boy he had a nature capable of only one simple line of force with no radiations or parallels and that had early resolved itself into the servants of the squire and his house after the squire's death he married a woman who lived in the family she was much older than himself and had a high temper but was a good servant and he married her to keep her to her allegiance to evelina then he bent her without her knowledge to take his own attitude towards his mistress no more could be gotten out of john darby's wife than out of john darby concerning the doings of the squire's house she met curiosity with a flash of hot temper and he with surly taciturnity and both intimidated the third of evelina's servants was the woman who had nursed her mother and she was naturally subdued and undemonstrative and rendered still more so by a ceaseless monotony of life she never went to meeting and was seldom seen outside the house a passing vision of a long white-capped face at a window was about all the neighbors ever saw of this woman so evelina's gentle privacy was well guarded by her own household as by a faithful system of domestic police she grew old peacefully behind her green hedge shielded effectually from all rough bristles of curiosity every new spring her own bloom showed paler beside the new bloom of her flowers but people could not see it some thirty years after the squire's death the man john darby died his wife a year later that left evelina alone with the old woman who had nursed her mother she was very old but not feeble and quite able to perform the simple household task for herself and evelina an old man who saved himself from the almshouse in such ways came daily to do the rougher part of the garden work in john darby's stead he was aged and decrepit his muscles seemed able to perform their appointed tasks only through the accumulated inertia of a patiently toilsome life in the same tracks apparently they would have collapsed had he tried to force them to aught else than the holding of the ploughshare, the pulling of weeds, the digging around the roots of flowers, and the planting of seeds. Every autumn he seemed about to totter to his fall among the fading flowers. Every spring it was like death himself urging on the resurrection. But he lived on year after year, and tended well Evelina's garden, and the gardens of other maiden women and widows in the village. He was taciturn, grubbing among his green beds as silently as a worm, but now and then he warmed a little under a fire of questions concerning Evelina's garden. Never seen none such flowers in nobody's garden in this town, not since I knowed enough to tell a pink from a panny, he would mumble. His speech was thick. His words were all uncouthly slurred. The expression of his whole life had come more through his old knotted hands of labor than through his tongue but he would wipe his forehead with his shirt-sleeve and lean a second on his spade and his face would change at the mention of the garden 
its wealth of bloom illumined his old mind and the roses and honeysuckles and pinks seemed for a second to be reflected in his bleared old eyes End of section one.